Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. Very glad you could be with us this morning. And we will start with our morning prayer. This morning I'm reading from page 95 of Retrospection and Introspection, a poem Mrs. Eddie used by A.E. Hamilton. And a brief statement in page 229 of the Blue Book. Ask God to give thee skill in comfort's art, that thou mayest consecrated be, and set apart unto a life of sympathy. For heavy is the weight of ill in every heart, and comforters are needed much of Christ-like touch. Abide in love. Nothing can touch or harm you in love. Know that you live in love. Love is God as life itself. Take this understanding with you and bless others with love. Mary Baker Eddy. Very beautiful. Thank you so much. I have that poem framed. I love that poem. All right. And now the watching point. Karen. Watch, watch number 36. Watch lest you fail to discriminate between love as the infinite good reflected by man, of which man is the full expression, and the human misinterpretation and misuse of it. If you permit your concept of love to become darkened through the material sense of it, which you see in the world, you may become so prejudiced against it, afraid of it, that you fail to cultivate it as a spiritual quality derived from God. If the human perversion of love seems so obnoxious that you endeavor to crush out or repress all tender affections, you may throw overboard the very thing most needed for your salvation, since love is truly the link between the human and the divine. When you see one misusing love or personalizing it, remember that he is heavenly homesick and yearning for God. But because he does not know this, he accepts a human substitute. If the master did not condemn Mary Magdalene, but healed her by feeding her famished affection spiritually, Christian scientists should not condemn one who has suffered enough from his mistake to be ready for divine love. If the top of a tree has been bent over into the ground so that it is growing down instead of up, you do not kill the tree or cut it off. You pull the top out of the ground and leave it free to grow toward the light. Good healers are the only good teachers. A musician must sing or play well and is judged by his performance, not by his blab. Science is practice, proof, not a profession, neither high-toned wit or philosophy. These are but apologies for its absence, if they possess not the spirit that heals both sickness and sin. Thank you so much. Okay, comments? Well, the term heavenly homesick, um, 
I thought about that, and I, it really gave me um, a sense of compassion when I see or know of somebody or just that, that thought that there are those that just don't. They are seeking love. Everybody wants love, to be love and to love. But if one doesn't know any better, then they seek it um, personally. or um, And so it is a separation that they think. They can't be, really, but they think they're separated from the one source, the only source of love. And so when I looked up the term, I mean, everybody knows what homesick means, but it said the feeling of emotional distress when you're away from home. Well, what is home as far as the Christian scientists? It's we're at home with our at oneness with God. And when we don't feel that or feel that we're separated, that's when we seek it in the wrong way. And uh, so it just makes me want to, it gives me more compassion for those that, that are seeking it in a way that they don't really understand <laughs> where it really comes from, the source. Thank you. I thought about the phrase where it says being judged by performance and not by blab, especially in the context of the lesson and loving your enemies, um, because we have to do more than just love the people who love us. We have to, you know, understand, we have to really, you know, true love is being able to love your enemies or bless those that are cursing you. And that's going above and beyond just that human sense of what I kind of call the easy love of just loving those around us that we're kind of simpatico with. Okay, thank you. I love where it says about wit being used as a substitute for love. And, um, you know, I don't mind a good laugh now and then, but if uh, what's being done is at the expense of somebody else and then they're laughing about it, that is hate. You know, misused humor can be a channel for hate, something to watch out for. So I'd rather not laugh, but still feel compassion for my brother man and, of course, for Almighty God himself. Right. I think that um, this is so important for me <clears throat> not to repeat when we don't feel love. I, I hear it often. Oh, I don't feel love. I don't feel God loves me. Pretty soon you don't love yourself. And it seems to me that over the years, repress all tender affections. It's very easy to do that over the years when you're not feeling any love from, you know, maybe family members or whomever and it can go on until you become numb it happened to me years ago and and yet without love what am i doing it says here since love is truly the link between the human and the divine so i've lost it all if i don't feel anything any love like that and it's something that is very uh, important to watch out for Thank you very much. Good point. Hard to come back from that loveless place. Yeah, and that, you know, I remember too, numbing myself, and, and that must never be done. We must face our feelings, whatever they are. And as we've talked about before, who did who did Jesus have his rebukes for? The self righteous. Self righteous, yes. The sinners are 
most often the easiest so-called sinners are the most easy, easy to heal because they are in such need and they they have a humility about them um yes and in this beautiful lesson on with the subject love and um i know i've talked about this before but i will again the the reiki article no big veto power he goes into mary mary magdalene um what chapter in science and health does it begin with her story christian science christian science yes it's it's very significant that mrs eddy began that chapter with this story um mr riki brings out the five points in that story that are so important the summit of devout consecration the oil of gladness the perfume of gratitude tears of repentance and then the hairs all numbered by the father and it is that deep sense of love we all need to feel and let, let ourselves feel it uh, i love where he writes on page 26 that talks about the tears of self pity but then the tears of self repentance are altogether different mary magdalene had been wasting her human experience until she met the master inherently she possessed the qualities of a pretty fine character but she had been dreaming otherwise to be really healed she needed to be thoroughly awakened through her tears of repentance she resolved to live differently and better she was determined to dedicate her whole selfhood to the christ all material interests and worldly aims gave way to her divine passion for truth remember all material interests and worldly aims gave way to her divine passion for truth these tears of repentance gave new meaning to every minute and hour of her daily experience because of these tears of repentance our master our master said excuse me that whenever the story of his life was told what she did would also be recounted that is very beautiful isn't it yes. mm -hmm. so so comments on that well i thought it was <laughs> important that it says all material aims and whatever it said have to be replaced not some but all and i find personally i find that quite a challenge some of us will find it more of a challenge than others but until we get rid of all material and worldly aims and ambitions we have work to do because those are the things that would block our ability to feel god's love and to love in return because remember 
you know, the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. And I find it very useful to go back to the synonyms for God to know what it is that I'm supposed to love. I'm supposed to love the truth as, as far as I can understand it. I'm supposed to love life, spiritual life, my real life, as far as I can live it. I'm supposed to love principle. So I'm supposed to love the things, the things that are God. <laughs> and if I can do that, I will love his creation in a much more, in a much better way than I ever could before. So any of you who feel you have to give up some worldly aims and ambitions um, are, are doing it? Jeremy, you wrote about this on the forum. Well, I certainly had a lot, lot that needed to be forgiven and healed over my years here, and, and I have more, I'm sure. But... Say something? Yes, let's see if we can put you on speaker. I was to paint for a month. And, um, I was looking at my work because I had to put together a preparation of what I've already done to, to get it. And I was granted the smaller of these grants, and I'm very grateful that I got it. And so what I've been doing is saying, God, what do you want me to paint? This is a different shift than how I'm painting before. So it's not uh, that I am more qualified or more trained these days because I did study this, but I'm now studying what God has for me to do, and it's opening up a lot. And I think that Jesus, in his unique manner of handling each case of healing, or Mary Baker Eddy, uh, let Mary, she said when she put Mary aside, she was able to go forward. I'm paraphrasing. And I that's what I feel. And that's what I think that this uh, lesson is about. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And that's a good answer because this doesn't mean that we have to all live like monks. We're not looking <laughs> for that. It's just. Whatever you do. In fact, quite the opposite. Yeah. Come out from the material world and be separate. And love, you know, lo love is a very active verb. Mm -hmm. there, you know, there's nothing passive about it. I mean, you need to do what people, you know, it means to provide people what they need. Not what they want, but for what they need. God directs that. When you really love, God shows you what you need to do. And and you'll 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 have a, a very busy career <laughs> doing that. Yeah, and it's important that we we are in this world helping our brothers and and but but as as Zary said, just purify your motives of whatever it is you're doing. Do it out of love and to bless mankind. Um, 
in this article that Carrie sent, The Golden Rule, it says, Abraham Lincoln, who did his day's work for liberty so well, said, quote, all there is to this life is kindness, end quote, implying that we have no other way of proving that we love God than through loving forgiveness to one another. We all owe much to one another. We cannot get along without one another. Therefore, let us love one another. Bear, ones, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It takes ivory dust to polish ivory. It takes diamond dust to polish diamonds. And it takes one another to polish us. <laughs> what does Mrs. Eddie say about co-elbowing, right? <laughs> Getting along with each other. Paul said that he got wisdom from the unrighteous as well as the righteous. He got wisdom from the unrighteous because their persecutions made him humble, strong, and true. Like Moses, when he became meek, he talked with God. So, and then it goes on. Christian science is not a great mystery. The golden rule lived in thought, word, and deed is Christian science and simplicity. If we are living the golden rule, we are striving our best to be true Christian scientists. And things fit right for us because we are following our wise leader as she follows Christ giving out good to all those whom we come in contact, while at the same time purifying our own characters and becoming translucent and transparent to the all-pervading, all-embracing love of God. The golden rule is the rule that leads to universal harmony, says Paul. No man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourished and cherished it, even as the Lord the Church. So it's very important, this law of kindness, working out from where we are, loving one another, purifying our motives, and um, getting rid of self as best we can. Jasmine wrote on the forum, I love this, she made a whole list of things to do, but she ended it with, divine love naturally flows out from within, a man or woman who has willingly given up their mortal ways of living. So there we are. And that goes back to giving up your, yeah, your worldly aims and your ambitions, your driven sense of achieving materially um, without purifying those motives to glorify God. And the thing is, God never asks us to give up anything good. The only thing he asks us to give up are sin, disease, and death. Things that aren't good for us in the first place. Things that would keep us, block us from becoming closer to him and the good that he is. And calling ourselves, you know, the child of God, child of God, part of the package is this reflection of love. So... We take it, we take it, and take it all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, thank you. So, so, and and the sinning part of the ambitions, the worldly ambitions, is you're making a god of something other than God, and it will lead to disaster and unhappiness. If not you, 
with with your children, your home life, it, it will end with something. You, you can't be happy and selfish at the same time. <laughs> just doesn't. But you can't be unhappy and unselfed at the same time either. And Mrs. Eddie refers to a, a t- attaining the bliss of loving unselfishly. There's a reason why she calls loving unselfishly a bliss. Because you can't find any greater happiness than doing that. And many of you have found that. And the same way in the, in the lesson it says, perfect love casteth out fear. And that's because fear and love cannot exist together. So if you're fearing, bingo, you're not loving. Remember that. It's a good antidote for fear. It's a wake-up call. If you're afraid, then you're not, you're not loving. You're in the, the wrong mind. But when you love, love whatever it is you're afraid of. And it will dis- dissipate. And your, your fear will be gone. And exist together. So, after all, on page uh, 201 of uh, Science and Health, she says, the way to extract error from mortal mind is to pour in truth through flood tides of love, not the other way around. I think we say a lot of the truth, but where is the love? And the Christian perfection is one on no other basis. So, uh, yes. And in Science and Health, to go along with this story, on page 364, Mrs. Eddy says, here is, a suggested so- here is suggested a solemn question, a question indicated by one of the needs of this age. Do Christian scientists seek truth as Simon sought the Savior through material conservatism and for personal homage? Jesus told Simon that such seekers as he gave small reward in return for the spiritual purgation which came through the Messiah. If Christian scientists are like Simon, then it must be said of them also that they love little. On the other hand, do they show their regard for truth or Christ by their genuine repentance, by their broken hearts expressed by meekness and human affection, as did this woman? If so, then it will be said of them, as Jesus said of the unwelcome visitor, that they indeed love much because much is forgiven them. And this is, this is a solemn question to ask all of us, all of ourselves, and continually. Why are we here? And, and is it for personal homage? And, um, and why do we seek the truth? Yeah. And how often? <laughs> And is it just, yeah, just for your own benefits? Clearly, God has blessed us all after, and we work for him. But I see, yeah, after all the good stuff has happened to us, bringing us to a good point, are we just maintaining this good and not really doing a whole lot for anybody else? It's easy trap to fall into. Um, and I guess you have to 
pray what next, God? No, you're right. You're right, Craig. It's an easy trap to fall into. And uh, someone once asked Mrs. Eddy, um, I can't remember exactly the question, but, you know, what would happen to the Christian science movement? Um, after she's gone. After she's gone. And uh, she prophesied, she's feared that it would deteriorate into material prosperity. And which, that's it, which it has done. Which is what has happened to a lot of the branch churches, which is why they've closed. It's certainly what has filled the organization in Boston um, to a large extent. And that's why it's, it's a solemn question that she asks all of us. And all of us, she says all of us can do better. And, and are you willing to do as, as the Magdala did and give it all for God? And in whatever your vocation is, wherever you are right now, there are ways you can do better. This was something beautiful, uh, referring to rooted and grounded in love in the response of reading an article called that by Virginia C. Carr, sent by Carrie. The root of the plant functions as the organ of absorption. Through our roots, or spiritual desires, we absorb God's love. Lay hold of the great food reservoirs of divine mind in order that we may grow in grace and thus bring forth our blossoms. The glory of the flower is in its blossoming. The rose bush, bush through its roots, is established and nourished that it may through its blooming, give forth its fragrance and beauty to bless others. That's just what Craig was saying. When you get the fruits of the Spirit and it comes into your life, the only reason you get it is to bless others. And when you stop doing that, you're drifting off. When you just start enjoying your own little life, your own home, Things are better, and maybe things are better, so you just want to take your pennies and go off and spend them and have a good old time and forget who gave you the pennies in the first place and why you've got to give back. And I love that example of a flower. The fragrance and beauty is to bless others. Just so it is with each student of Christian science. He finds his relation to God as mind's idea, and through his roots, he is established and fed. Yes, but only in order that he may, through his blossoming, glorify his maker and share the blessings with others. Thus we perceive our true relation to our fellow man and how spontaneously and joyously we can unfold in God's likeness when rooted and grounded in his love. As our beloved leader has written in Science and Health, giving does not impoverish us in the service of our maker. Neither does withholding enrich us. So, you know, we recently we had that lesson on feed my sheep. At the end of the day, you can ask yourself, how have I blessed others? Have I at all? And sometimes it is just a kind word or a encouragement. But 
throughout your day, that should be your motivation. That's your motivation, not what Ivy League school your child is going to get into or what big house you want to have or how you want to furnish it or how you want to be the CEO of a certain company. That's not the motivation. And if it is, you love little. And I think it's wonderful that we learn that it, through our thinking, we can be blessing. So, and this is what we, we do all day, so we can do something every day. Thank you. That's it. That is your, that is your job, is in blessing others. Whatever your vocation is, your teacher, you do this or that, your job is to bless others through this truth. Because we all worship something. I mean, everybody worships something. <laughs> so we should guard our citadel, stand porter at the door of thought, and be, be alert to what it is that we're worshiping. Wherever your treasure is, there is your heart also. Yeah. Right. That, that's a short article by Gilbert Carpenter about when he was in Mrs. Eddy's home. And um, he was wondering, well, when I get sick, what am I going to do? And so it came to him to, um, to pray for the world when, he, when anything ever showed up. And it always healed him um, when, he, when his thought went out to bless others and to love all those out in the world that needed love. That's how he had his healing. I thought that was... That's what so I've been thinking true. about a lot, too. Absolutely. Good I point. love that. Yes. He yes. loved much. Mm -hmm. And he was only in her house for one year. And she was very sorry to see him leave because he had done so much while he was there. And he learned, he, he, he learned so much in that one year. He learned enough that he was the one who wrote the correct biography of her works, 20, you know, 25 years later, when nobody else did. And that's why he was able to write something that is such a treasure for the cause of Christian science today. Yeah, we, we've gone back to to that time in history and looked, re-looked at it again and, and to see what had gone wrong. And that's why that Discerning the Rights of Man by Richard Oakes, that's one of your assignments for this week. I have several assignments. That's one of them, to read that carefully, judiciously. He says a lot in that that tells you exactly what went on during this period. And, um, yeah, it was the time when the Dakin book and another book came out very against Mary Didamore Baker Eddy, Didamore. Yeah, very anti. And it took Gilbert Carpenter to reverse those and to explain the truth about our leader. And uh, to get those books out was a, a race to the finish line because the organization did everything they could to keep them archived. And, and hidden and from driving the Driving the foundation to... <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Lost. And, and in, in a letter by one of the people involved, you know, she made it 
sound like perhaps it was Richard Oakes's fault, which it was not. There's nothing that he did that wasn't in accord with the Carpenters. And we would not have had the Blue Book if it weren't for Richard Oakes. Of course, we all know how much Lawrence loves him. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence's second favorite book. <laughs> yes, it is. I love it. <laughs> and, and rightfully so. And that took a lot of work. He carried on. After, after Carpenter Jr.'s life was ended far too soon, mm-hmm. folks took on the work. And he tried to get himself out of it. And he, what, he was in two plane crashes. Yeah. <laughs> when he tried to get, get out yeah, of it. Yeah, he tried to get out of it. He wanted to get married. He did get married. He wanted to just live his own life and forget all this. But he ended up in two plane crashes. And one, when he realized he'd made a wrong turn in the road, what, his, he, he'd been blinded and all kinds of things. He, he got In a day, he was healed. That was God telling him something. So he got back to do this work, but this was him giving his life to God in repayment for all that God had done to him. He tried to run away and do something else. Didn't didn't work. But like Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. And Oaks visited us several times, and he would tell this story to us, and and uh, I know his sincerity. So anyway, um, that's a beautiful story because it got so close for these treasures to not be available. But honestly, there's a hand working behind all of this, and that's the hand of God, and he would not allow it to happen. That's right. These treasures being spiritual footsteps, spiritual precepts. Watch and watches prayers and argument. 500 watching points. The blue book and the red book. Yes. And more. And the yes, all that <laughs> And the first were the carpenter books, and then it was it was, um, and those came from the carpenters. But then it was Oaks gathering the collected writings and all of the things he gathered about Mrs. Eddy and put them together in the blue book. Yeah, all the different colored he books. Protected everything because all protected. of it was taken back to Boston. That was in America. Mm-hmm. It he was, was in Britain. The laws protected him mm-hmm. and protected the. He had a library and everything set up there. He yeah. did. By he wasn't taking, making money off this. They make it out. No, not at all. No, and they also make it sound like he disobeyed carpenters. Yeah, he, did not. he did not. He knew them well. He loved them, especially Junior. And he had to take on the work after he passed on prematurely, mm-hmm. mainly of a broken heart because he realized what was going on in the organization. Yeah. So, um, but senior lived to be in his to his ninetieth year, I believe that. Was. So the story is very fascinating. It is one we, you all need to know, so you cannot be duped, because what you'll read and it's read, oh my, put out very cleverly, will make you think otherwise. Will make you think the carpenters were wrong. Um, they, it's all very cleverly put out, and that is why you can't believe everything you read. And this is. Absolutely true in today's world, politics, everything else. You cannot believe what you read. You've got to check your sources and then take it to God. Is this it's the truth or not? So interesting because the accusation of disobedience came from whom? Those that were the disobedient themselves. The Absolutely. Right. Well, the human mind is stupid. It can only accuse others of what it is guilty of. And it does in spades. Mm-hmm. 
And Didymore at the end was was very, very sorry about what he did. After he read Spiritual Footsteps, he realized he made a terrible mistake and he repented before he passed. As did. Oh. Um, Adam Dickey? Dickey? No. No, our friend. Oh, Reg Carey. Right. Reg Carey right. was mortified because he was part of this. Um, putting the, all this stuff in the archives. He was part of it because the organization promised these books would be available to working Christian scientists. They made that promise. And of course... <laughs> they reneged on it. Yeah, they certainly did. So now, Gary's going to read from Miscellaneous Writing something very important. Page 238. The Reformer has no time to give in defense of his own life's incentive, since no sacrifice is too great for the silent endurance of his love. What has not unself-love achieved for the race? All that ever was accomplished, and more than history as yet recorded. The reformer works on unmentioned, save when he is abused or his work is utilized in the interest of somebody, he may labor for the establishment of a cause which is fraught with infinite blessings, health, virtue, and heaven. But what of all that? Who should care for everybody? It is enough, say they, to care for a few. Yet the good done and the love that foresees more to do stimulate philanthropy and are an ever-present reward. Let one's life answer well these questions, and it already hath a benediction. Have you renounced self? Are you faithful? Do you love? There's an article on the carousel by John Randall Dunn, I believe, who, who goes into that quote, and it's very, again, very sobering. All of us, and, and those of us who think we can't love again we started the meeting thing it's a matter of getting rid of yourself and letting god love through you putting away the selfish ambitions and it's a process sometimes that does not happen overnight but then what you do with this love is to bless all what you do with with your peaceful home when you get it and you probably will what you do with uh where you no longer are scraping and scratching for supply. And that will happen too. You do it to bless others. When you get good health, and that will happen, you do it in God's service. And if you don't, well, you don't want to know what will happen, because <laughs> it won't be good. Usually, though, when you reach that point, if it's been earnestly worked for, you couldn't possibly do otherwise. Reminds me of what that Christoph said at the end of the seven churches of Revelation, those, those two things. They had that, um, I don't know what it was called, round table or whatever. Oh, and, and they were talking about what it, what. <laughs> Christianity, what real Christianity looks like, you know, and how you can measure it. And he said, 
the only way you can measure it is seeing how people spend their time and how they spend their money. There we go. And that that's the being it and not um, talking, talking it. it. Apology. Mm-hmm. Apology for its absence. Yes. So, Linda, what did you write about on the forum? Well, I wrote about grudges. I was working with the wine and the science and health about, quote, that unselfishness, goodness, mercy, justice, health, holiness, love, the kingdom of heaven reign within us. And sin, disease, and death will diminish until they finally disappear, end quote. And in the process, I, justice has always been a tricky word, so I looked that up, and it said in the 1828 dictionary, Webster's, fair, impartial, right action, conformity to God's law. And then in the process, I came across some uh, articles on grudges, because it's this whole sense of trying to hold on to what you felt was unjust, unjust from your past and not letting it go. And uh, it just was another level of clarity for me. Um, you know, you can't even have a little grudge because it's, it's to me, it's, it's, it's like dust in the uh, eyes or vision. And uh, then you, you block out all those other qualities. And if you're living all those qualities, then that takes care of those uh, wrong thoughts that you have about others and yourself. But I, I like the word that uh, the idea was that you're just stuck on identifying yourself with being wrong, wounded, and stuck. You're stuck in justifying your anger. And what a horrible way to cut yourself off from love. And so I, I thought this lesson was wonderful and really and showing you an active sense of love and getting yourself out of the way. And so I talk about having yourself so full in your thought you're holding grudges so thank you yeah yeah and mrs evans would say yeah just like you can't have a little bit of resentment like you can't be a little bit pregnant or um and her practitioner told her when uh mrs evans went to her as a young woman or teenager even um was complaining about something her practitioner, Nana Ritchie, said, well, that sounds like hate. And Mrs. Evans said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't hate. I, I just resent them. I, I just they, don't like them. I just yeah. Indifferent or something. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Ritchie, then you hate them. <laughs> Mrs. Ritchie was an old-time practitioner. She didn't fool around. She was like Mrs. Evans. They're few and far between these kids. And that was a lesson. Mrs. Evans never forgot mm-hmm. and taught it. So. And it's, it's in the Beatitudes, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Right? Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Love your enemies. And that is, um, you know, my next assignment, too. If, you, if you're not very well versed in that, Love Your Enemies and Miscellaneous Writings. You read it and study it this week. It, it, it is a masterpiece. That and also Taking Offense. <laughs> it will heal you of this stuff. And what does she say? That uh, hatred is what? Spreading virus and kills at last. Yeah. You, okay. Yeah, you're only harming yourself. 
when you hold a grudge. Doesn't harm anybody else. Doesn't do anybody any good. So even a little bit, if you find things creeping up, that's why at the end of the day, to clear your slate, make sure you hold no hatred or resentment about anything during the day that went on. Clear your thought. Get at peace with God. Um, you, don't, make, you don't justify the error itself, but you separate the error from the person. And pity the person if you can't love them. <laughs> and you know it's interesting she does use the word virus isn't it spreads yeah. a virus mm -hmm. that, that's why all this this stuff and i will say in the united states this hatred this politics hating people and fighting and carrying on it's no wonder we've we're hit with this pandemic spreads its virus my friends and kills at last it's the work of the devil And if we would recognize it as that, it can, we can handle it. We can heal it. Because there's no reason for it. And the, and the devil, the so-called devil, it has no power unless you give it power. It comes to you for life. And you give it all the life it has. It's up to us to prove its powerlessness. But if we don't, we jump on the bandwagon and start arguing and fighting and carrying on for this side or the next side. It, it'll come and bite you. You can't do it. You can't make this God of, of whatever, politics, whatever, vaccination, no vaccination. Everybody's fighting about that now. It has no power unless you give it power. Mrs. Eddy says, do not beat out against the mist, but what? Rise above Gently it. rise above it. <laughs> That's why be careful what you take in, with, you know, things. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't know what's going on because we should. And Mrs. Eddy did. And be very careful, as I've said, about what you read or what you feel is true. But... Don't get where you're just oh so angry and angry at anyone who doesn't think the way you do. <laughs> no, we have pitiful patience with those who are mesmerized. Yes. And that little sentence, uh, let unselfishness, goodness, mercy, justice from science and health, that, that's one that we were taught here to teach our children because it's a powerful, beautiful statement a powerful prayer to work with. We should all work with it. If you're having a problem that's not being healed, think on those things, unselfishness, goodness, mercy, justice, health, holiness, kingdom of heaven. Are they reigning within you more and more? And then the, this false sense will diminish until it finally disappears. And then it was... Okay, oh, kind of cute what Louise wrote on the forum about this loving to live by Grace Bemis Curtis. I'm not sure what the date is, but anyway, it's a someone who was irritated and upset by someone and is having an argument in their head. This one, that one, this one, that one. <laughs> Finally, the truth went out because she she put she put it down, and that's the forum comment you can read and think about. That somehow, sometimes what we have to do, those are the human footsteps to get rid of the 
era that says we hate someone. She says, um, hate said to me, you ought to go tell that woman and tell her how wrong she is. She doesn't seem to realize it. Spiritual honesty. You're just as wrong as she is. Oh, no, said self-righteous. No, I'm not. Look what she did. Yes, said honesty. You look what you're thinking. You profess to be a Christian scientist, and as such, you know it's your duty and privilege to love that woman. Well, said self-will. I don't want to love her. I don't like her. She's a troublemaker. Ah, said honesty. But you must rid yourself of that hateful thought. Then self-pity had a try. Why should I have to do it when she's the one who's wrong? But whispered integrity. You're the one who is indulging self-righteousness, self-pity, and hatred. You must correct that. So very reluctantly, I thought, all right, I'll correct my thinking if I have to. But it's getting late. I'll do it tomorrow. (laughs) Yes, urge procrastination. You may feel more like doing it tomorrow. Do it now, said spiritual wisdom. And finally, wisdom won. Hmm. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very familiar. So the answer, what is the answer in all of this? It's always to love more. Um, and we can all do it every day where we are. Very important that we do. All right, well, it's almost time to end, and we're very grateful today. We have Suzanne visiting us from Vermont, and we have Peter and his friend Joseph visiting from California, and he will be singing to us live. (laughs) And playing the organ. And playing the organ for us, because Jared's not here. So we're going to end with this um, very beautiful poem. It's been in our... And in our liberator, it's Teach Me to Love by Louise Knightley. There was a time when in my daily prayer, I asked for all the things I deemed most fair and necessary to my life, success, riches, of course, and ease and happiness, a host of friends, a home without alloy, a primrose path of luxury and joy, social distinction, and enough of fame to leave behind a well-remembered name. Ambition ruled my life. I longed to do great things that all my little world might view and whisper, wonderful. Ah, patient God, how blind we are until the shepherd's rod of tender chastening gently leads us on to better things. Today, I have a petition. Lord, teach me to love. Indeed, it is my greatest and my only need. Teach me to love, not those who first love me, but all the world with that rare purity of broad out reaching thought, which bears no trace of earthly tint, but holds in its embrace humanity, and only seems to see the good in all, reflected, Lord, from thee. And teach me, Father, how to love the most, those who most stand in need of love, that host of people who are sick and poor and bad, whose tired faces 
show their lives are sad, who toil along the road with footsteps slow and hearts more heavy than the world can know, people whom others pass discreetly by or fail to hear the pleading of that cry for help amid the tumult of the crowd whose very anguish makes them cold and proud, resentful, stubborn, bitter in their grief. I want to bring them comfort and relief, to put my hand in theirs, and at their side walks Leon, oh, a faithful, fearless guide. O oh, Savior, thou the Christ, truth ever near, Help me to feel these sad ones doubly dear, because they need so much. Help me to seek and find that which they need was lost, to speak such words of cheer that as we pass along the wilderness shall blossom into song. Ah, love divine, how empty was that prayer of other days. That which was once so fair, those flimsy baubles which the world calls joys, are nothing to me now but broken toys, outlived, outgrown. I thank thee that I know those much-desired dreams of long ago, like butterflies, have had their summer's day of brief encampment and have gone. I pray for better things. Thou knowest, God, above. My one desire now, teach me to love. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.